I'm playing for myself. Well, Happy New Year to everyone. If I didn't have a chance to wish you in person, it's great to have you here with us on this uh, very, very cold morning. So can we give a big hand to our parking team and the people outside greeting us? Thank you all. Awesome job. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So as we start a new year together, as I was uh, back last year, kind of thinking through what might this new year hold for us and you know, one of the things I do is uh, I listen to messages of others just to challenge me and for God to feed my soul. And I came across a message series by a communicator that I really respect, Andy Stanley, entitled How to Get What You Really Want. And so I listened to it and wanted to take some of his thoughts and merge them with my thoughts. And I believe it will be something that will be a challenge for us as we dive into this new year. Um, how many of you are looking forward to the new year? Come on, there's got to be more of you than that looking forward to the new year. Some of you are like, I'm not sure, am I, am I not? But I hope you're looking forward to this new year. And as we look forward to this new year, a big part of the new year is thinking about what is it that you really want? What is it that you really want? And most of us, just a few weeks ago, probably walked past, or maybe you took your kids to, uh, to uh, Santa, and, and as you sat on, the kids sat on Santa's lap, what's the question that Santa asked all the kids? What's the question? What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? But what if we took the for Christmas part off and we dropped that off and I just asked you this question, what do you want? What do you want? And likely the younger you are, when you think about a want, you're thinking about you know, something that's the newest upgrade, a new device, the latest and greatest, you fill in the, the blank of something that you want. And as you get a little bit older, the wants of the thing slowly start to drop off and it becomes more of who you're going to be with, and what that relationship is going to be like. But we all can probably think of times when there was something that we wanted. Um, Think back to your high school years. For some of you, you don't have to think about it. You're living it right now. For some of you, it'll take a little while to rewind. But think back to your high school years and think about something you wanted when you were in high school. Something you really wanted when you were in high school. And as I thought about that for me, it was, uh, you know, as a teenage guy, I was all around the car, something to drive. And I didn't have a car of my own, so I had to, either, had to drive my, you know, my dad's kind of baby blue Mustang, which really wasn't the kind of Mustang I really wanted to be driving, but because it was from the mid-70s. Or, you know, my mom's VW bus, which would really be retro right now if I could drive that thing right now, but not back in the, in the early 80s. That wasn't very retro or didn't really fit in. But it was all about a car, what I really wanted. And I want you to think about this question this morning, what do I want? What do I want? It's not as easy a question to answer as you might suspect. There's a few realities, and I want to talk about these before we look in the scripture this morning. There's a few realities about this question, what do I really want, that I think are true of probably most, if not all of us here this morning. And the first reality of what I really want is is this, um, I want my way. I want my way. Now, we wouldn't say that as adults, we want our way, but if we're really honest, we want our way. And as a parent, when your child asks you for something, what do you tell your kids? Every time your kid asks you something, do you always say, sure, you can have whatever you want, wherever you want it, whenever you want it, however you want it? Do you say that to your kids, parents? I only heard one parent answer. (laughs) Do you say that, parents? No, you don't say that to your kids. Of course not. Of course not. You know, what most parents of middle and high schoolers want their students to understand is that the more they demand, the more they try to request that, the more they try to badger, pester, try to get what they want, the less likely they are to get their own way. The less likely they are to get their own way. 
why is this? Why is this? Would your kids be happy and have a life of joy if they got everything that they ever wanted, parents? Say it out loud. Would your kids be happy and have a life of joy if they got whatever they wanted, parents? No, no, of course not. Of course not. But because the reality is you want your way, but if you get your way, you will not get what you really want. You want your way, but if you get your way, you will not really get what you want. And likely all of us can think of something, maybe even that you just received a little more than a week ago, and it didn't measure up to what you thought it was going to be. You're like, wait a minute, on that TV commercial, on that advertisement, it could do this, and I can't get it to do that, you know? Or or how many of you have gotten something, maybe you can think of something you got for Christmas, and it broke within the first week, you know? That didn't measure up. That's not what I thought this was going to be. And so you see, when you try to answer this question, I want, and fill in the blank, it's, it's really a tricky question to try to navigate. There's a second reality about this whole issue I want, and that is that um, um, you want to do what you want to do. You want to do what you want to do. And some call this toxic want, a toxic want. The truth is that if you get what you really want, you'll likely end up where you don't want to be. Let me say that again. The truth is if you get what you really want, you will likely end up where you don't want to be. And part of our challenge, even at a parenting level, is trying to help our kids understand that if I give you everything you want, you're going to end up someplace that's really not good. It's really not good. And so Stanley talks about trying to explain this to his kids, and he said it was really hard because, this, you know, firstborns, they're just guinea pigs. Your parents are experimenting on you. They really don't have any idea what they're doing. And the, the secondborn kid, they know a few things that don't work, but they really haven't figured it out, so they're still trying. And by the time he got to his third child, his daughter, he figured out a way to answer this question that kids always ask. Do I, when you tell your kids to do something, how do they fill in that blank? Do I what? Have to, right? Do I have to? He's trying to figure out how do we help his, help his children understand the answer to this question, do I have to? And what he concluded was this, and this is what he told his children. I'm not suggesting his parent advice, I'm just suggesting. He said, once you get past a certain height, you don't have to do anything that anybody tells you to do. You really don't. You don't have to go to school, you don't have to clean your room, you don't have to brush your teeth, you don't have to va- go on vacation, you don't have to clear your plate. You know, the question, do I have to, At some point, the answer is, no, you don't have to, because no one can make you do anything. Like, wait a minute, what do you mean no one can make you do anything? The truth is, people can only keep you from doing things. People can only keep you from doing things. And that is what prison is for. (laughs) That is what prison is for. You see, if you can't make an adult do things, you can only keep them from doing things. And people in prison are people who wanted to do what they wanted to do and didn't want to do what they weren't supposed to do, and no one could make them do something, and so the state now keeps them from doing certain kinds of things. But the truth is, we want to do what we want to do. There's a third reality about this whole idea of what do I want, and that's the the issue of perpetual pleasure. Perpetual pleasure. Now, most of us don't like to admit this, but the truth is we'd like to do things that make us feel good, regardless of what it is, regardless of what it is. You say, what are you talking about, John? You're talking about binging on Netflix? No, I'm not talking about that, you know, and some of you, your minds immediately went to sex, and that's certainly something that can make you feel good, but there's a whole list of other things that can make people feel good, whole list of them, food, entertainment, vacation, travel, 
alcohol. I mean, there's a whole list of things that can make you feel really good. And part of what we want is we want to feel pleasure, pursue pleasure, and ignore pain. But the reality is, is if we keep enjoying that same pleasure over and over again, more and more, with the level of frequency that we either have the financial capacity to make happen or the life setting to occur, we keep doing it over and over again. You know where it leads us? leads us addicted. That's where it leads us. leads us addicted. You see, a pleasure that is addictive is no longer a pleasure, but ultimately undermines your pleasure. A pleasure that is addictive is no longer a pleasure, but ultimately undermines your pleasure. You get so much of a good thing that it becomes a what? A bad thing, right? Too much of a good thing becomes ultimately a bad thing. Likely it started off as good, Maybe it was a hobby. Maybe it was even something good for you. But eventually, took control of your life, and it's no longer a good thing, but it's a controlling thing that you don't even enjoy anymore. So you see, to answer this question, what do you want, is not as easy as it might sound upon hearing initially. The last thing about this question, is, the last reality about this question is, you want it now. You want it now. The truth is, we want it now. We want it now. And so the challenge is, as you're trying to figure out what do you really want, what do you do with the need to have it now? The need to have it now. When we were raising our kids, one of our kids, uh, you couldn't walk in the store and walk down an aisle without them saying, can I have that, literally 10 or 15 times till you got down one aisle. And so by the time you got through the store, it was like 150 times. Can I have that? Can I? No, you can't. No, you can't. Can I have that? No, you can't. And it didn't matter how, can I have that? No, you can't. No, you can't, you know. And so we tried to come up with a way to address this with our kids. And I don't know if we heard it somewhere or dreamed it of ourselves, but we started saying to them, if you want that, you have to think about it for 24 hours. And after 24 hours, if you think about it and come back to us, then we'll have a conversation about, can you get this? Now, what do you think happened after the 24 hours? They forgot, right? Most of the time, great parenting strategy, great parenting strategy. But um, the truth is it doesn't just work with our kids and address this. It works in a lot of other arenas in life. How many of you have been called on your phone and now they got our cell phone numbers? I don't know how they did it, but now they got our cell phone numbers. By a telemarketer offering you a cruise or a free vacation, how many are signed up for a timeshare? How many of you gotten none of those calls? Let me see your hands. How many of you? Okay, most of us in here have gotten them. You know, and they want you to do what? They want you to want it now, right? They're working off of the now theory. But if you say to them, after you listen to your spiel, listen to their spiel, thank you for sharing me with that, about that opportunity, but I don't make major decisions like this until I take 24 hours and I pray about it and I think about it and discuss it with my spouse. So if you give me your cell phone number, I'll gladly call you back in 24 hours and let you know what my decision is. And that ends that phone call very, very quickly. And they don't usually call back because it does what? It addresses the I want it now. And the truth is, what we want today often ends up in the way of what we want tomorrow. The truth is, what we want today often ends up with what we want tomorrow. And have you ever noticed that the things you want right now, a week from now, a month from now, six months, a year from now, they never look that good? Did you ever notice that, that down the road it never looks that good? I mean, just imagine the last time when you went back to one of your high school reunions. 
you know, and you went back to the high school reunion and remember that guy or that girl and you thought they were really hot and you, you kind of had this picture of them in your mind. You go to the table and you pick up the name tag and there's a person that picks up the name tag and you look at them and you're like, oh, you know, that was not the picture I had in my mind, you know. I had this picture in my mind back here when I wanted it right now, but now 20 years later, 30 years later, I don't even know what to say. Oh, you, you've matured. That's all that can come out, you know. Because what looks good in the moment doesn't ever materialize, right? And so to answer this question, what do you want? It's a hard question to try to answer. Because we've got all this stuff floating around of our need for pleasure and of wanting what we want and the need to want it right now. And the truth is that leads us to this place called regret. Because regret is when we get something that we wanted and now there's no more options and no more choices and we can't go back in time. Regret is getting what you want, but not having what you truly want, what you truly want. And if we get our own way, we get in the way, and we lose our way. Solomon said it this way, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it doesn't lead to life, it just leads to death. And too often what happens is getting what you want only leaves you wanting more. It only leaves you wanting more. C.S. Lewis who was an author who lived around World War II. He was an atheist, and then he actually came to believe in God, and so he was an agnostic who believed God didn't have any involvement in the world. And then he actually became a Christ follower, and he wrote about this journey as an adult uh, in a very prolific way. And one of the books he wrote is this book entitled The Great Divorce. And that seems like an odd title, because who would say a divorce is great? Um, but it wasn't really about marriage. It was a book about hell. And what Lewis was trying to do is he's trying to depict what hell was really like. And he tried to strip away all the kind of medieval pictures and figures of, of demons and dragons and fire and fire-breathing things. And he describes hell as a, this kind of a place. He describes it as a place where you get whatever you want simply by thinking about it. You get whatever you want simply by thinking about it. Now some of you are thinking, wow, that sounds like heaven. That doesn't sound like hell. You know. We got a realistic picture of this in the movie uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory when some of the individuals in the story, they wanted something, and they wanted something so bad. You remember the few of the characters? One of the guys' name was uh, Augustus Glump, you know? That was, or Gloop, excuse me, one of the guys who he just wanted chocolate, and he wanted chocolate and wanted chocolate, and finally he fell in the chocolate river and he thought he was in heaven, but it really wasn't a, a good place he ended up, you know? Another one was Violet Beauregard, who she just wanted to chew gum, and she chewed gum all day long and nonstop, always chewing gum, and she grabbed this piece of gum that she thought was a three-course meal, but they hadn't, find it, they hadn't um, figured out how to make it work, and she ended up a blueberry, not what she really wanted. And then, of course, there's Veruca Salt, who she just wanted what she wanted right now. And they think they died and went to heaven, but it's easy to be deceived that what you want isn't really what you want, and it will always leave you longing for more. This morning I want you to turn in your, invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. The book of James was written by a guy named James, one of Jesus' brothers. And um, he initially wasn't a follower of Jesus. He initially didn't believe in Jesus. Over time came to believe in Jesus and um, wrote a book called the book of James. And he also became a leader in the first century church. Not because he was Jesus' brother and he got favored position, but because... He believed that Jesus rose from the dead. 
And in this letter, he writes about this issue of what we want and how tricky it is to figure it out. So if you're there in James chapter 4, look at verse 1. It says this. Um, it's page 979, I'm sorry, in the Bibles and the seat racks in front of you, if you don't have one with you this morning. Um, James chapter 4, verse 1 says this. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? You know, we tend to think, well, people just don't agree. They're just differences of opinions. You know, you can't see it. You can't see it uh, from one another's perspective. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And he goes on to say this. Don't they come from your desires that battle within? James says the reason that there's this conflict is because of stuff that's going on inside of you. These things that you want, these things of desire that are waging, raging, waging a raging battle inside of you. You say, what are those desires? Well, some of the things I talked about earlier. But there's other desires that rage inside of us. Uh, some of you might have a desire to control You've experienced pain or life out of control at some other time in your life. And so it's, there's something inside of you and you can't actually put words around it, but you just have to make sure everything is in its place and everything is where it needs to be. And it's a form, it's control. Some of you, the battle that rages inside of you is a battle to please other people. You just have to make sure everybody's okay. You know, you read the room when you come in. You know immediately when you walk into a group of people how each person is doing, and your job is to make sure they're, it's a desire that rages inside of you. Some of you have a desire to be in charge, to be the boss, to make sure that you're the one con, you know, managing all of that because someone has taken advantage of you in the past, and so you're not going to ever let that happen, so you're going to make sure you're in charge of everything. You see, we have these desires inside of us and they rage inside of us. And what James is trying to help us see is that the tension that exists in our lives is because we want something and we can't get it. We want something and we can't get it. You know, one of the best ways to bring the emotion down in a conflict is to recognize this. Create some perspective. I want everybody to hold your index finger up on one of your hands. Hold your index finger up, okay? Okay. Next time you're in a conflict, I want you to put your index finger up and say this. You know what the problem is. Say it after me. I am not getting what I want. And point it at yourself. I am not getting what I want. Okay, that will diffuse a conflict as fast as you can imagine. Some of you are going to try that out this afternoon. Let me know how it goes, you know. Think about that. You know what the problem is. You're not pointing. You know what the problem is. I am not getting what I want. And that's what James is talking about here. He says the conflicts in our lives, the tension in our lives, the anger that boils up inside of us and spills out relationally on other people is because of things that we do not get. You say, wait a minute, John, aren't there some things I legitimately deserve? Yes, there are. But if you demand them, and if you try to force your way to get them, it's only going to result in a conflict. He goes on in verse 2 to say this, You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You desire, you want something, you don't get it, so you kill. Say, so is he talking about actual murder, taking someone's life? Well, really not. It's a form of speech called a hyperbole, but if you think about it, it's not too far from the truth. Because everybody that's in prison for murder, they wanted something, they didn't get it, their rage took over them, and they took another person's life because they did not get what they, what they wanted. But it doesn't just happen in those settings. It happens in all different kinds of settings. 
Maybe you've seen this happen in a marriage. Someone wanted something in a marriage. Maybe they wanted their spouse to be compliant. Maybe they wanted a spouse that they could manipulate. Maybe they wanted a spouse that would be right by their side and would never let them live their own lives on their own. Maybe they wanted a spouse that wanted the freedom to live as they pleased and ignore their vows. And so they wanted, they pressured, they manipulated, they ignored wise counsel, ignored godly truth, and eventually what happened in the marriage, it died. It died. And when we have a desire that is unfulfilled and we pursue it, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us. James goes on to say this. He says, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So there's more conflict. The idea of covet is the idea to, to have a, a desire that's like this. It's small, and it slowly gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it more takes over, and it ramps up, and it controls you and everything that you're doing. Everything that you're doing. I experienced a little bit of this on Friday evening. I had been down last week uh, in the Tampa area to take my mom down to her sister's memorial service who passed away suddenly before the holidays. And we had to leave Philly. We were um, in Philly at uh, about 4 a.m. because our flight was at 5 a.m. So it was very, very early in the morning. And I was trying to make sure everything was taken care of for my mom, who doesn't travel as much, and uh, make sure she had enough time to get where she needed to go. And I got out of my car, and we got into the shuttle. We parked our car, got in the shuttle. As it's driving away, I realized I forgot which carousel, which parking carousel we parked nearby. You know, the little huts that you wait in, in the long-term parking. I forgot, and I was like, that's going to be a bad thing. But uh, I was on it, we were pulling away, nothing I could do about it. So... So we get in Friday evening at about 10.30, and uh, they take us, and I'm like, oh no, now, what am I going to do about this? Um, the only thing I knew is it was somewhere in the middle of the parking area. And so I said to my mom, I said, mom, I'm going to do my best to find this as quickly as I can. So we, I said, we waited until we got to the middle, we jumped off, I said, you, get, you stay right in the middle of this waiting, uh, you know, the little spot where you wait, and I said, I'm going to start trying to find the car. And so I'm walking around, I'm clicking my clicker, can't find it. I forgot Roddy to put it to my head and click it so it goes further. I forgot that one, you know, but it works. I've seen him do it, you know, but um, I forgot that one at that moment in time. And so I go, from, I'm at the next one, it's looking in the cars, because I knew I was like four stalls away from the waiting area. It's not that one. And, you know, I'm starting, and you guys know how cold it was Friday night. I had a coat, no gloves, no hat, it's starting to get cold. So I'm starting to walk faster, you know, and I get to the next one, it's not that one. Walking faster to the next one, it's not that one. I start to now run, walk to the next one. I'm thinking, I'm going to have to run all the way back to the very beginning, go back to A, because she was waiting at G, and start checking all the way, you know, all the way. And, and my intensity was ramping up like this, and I was starting to think about all the possibilities, and how was I going to find this place, and not have my poor mother freeze to death in the middle of the, you know, Philadelphia parking lot, you know. Fortunately, I found it right about as that panic thought came into my head, you know. But... That's what a coveting, that's what, when you covet, that's what it does. It starts out really simple. And the crazy thing is, is when we covet, it often starts out something good. That's the crazy thing about these desires that we're going to talk about over these next few weeks. Desires that God places in us, I believe, are often something good. But something good becomes something bad, and it consumes us, and then it leads to more and more conflict. You know, when you go after something, that's what happens. You know, the name of this series is not how to get what you want. 
Because if you get what you want, it'll eventually not be what you want, and it might ruin your life. It's how to get what you really want. How to get what you really want. Most of us don't know what we really want. Most of us don't know. You see, most of us, the things that we want, and we're going to talk about this over these next few weeks, there's, the, there's these surface desires, things on the surface that are good things. But if that's all our life is about, the good things right at the top, we're not going to get what we really want. And we run the risk of ruining our lives. You might want that relationship. Is a relationship a good thing? It's a great thing. But if that becomes the ruling desire, if that becomes the idol, if that becomes the thing that controls your life, it could ruin your life. You, you want that promotion at work. You think you have, the, you have the skills, you have the opportunity. But if that becomes the consuming desire, the desire at the top, the one that takes over your life, it could ruin you. Truth is, we don't know what we really want because we're so distracted. But these wants, they evolve. Look at this, how they evolve. You want, but you don't have, which is what James says. You do what you need to get it, but it's just out of reach. The wanting increases. It erupts relationally and externally. You bypass God, and confusion and complications spill out into every part of your life. So you're not getting what you want, and it creates conflict. So what do you do? James says you don't have because you do not ask God. You do not ask God. I think there's a couple reasons we don't ask God. I think the one is, why would I ask God for that thing? God's not really going to give that to me. You know, why am I going to ask God for that brand new 2018 vehicle that I just saw, you know, driving? God's not, I'm not going to ask God for that, you know. God's not going to have that hot guy or that hot girl agree to go out with me. I'm not going to ask God about that one, you know. Think God's going to give me that promotion at work uh, just because I think it would be nice and I'd love to have some extra money and not, uh, God's not going to give me that. He's given me basically what I need. So, so we don't ask God because we think God won't say yes to us. But some of you are asking God for things. You're saying, God, I, I want to get out of this relationship. I need a new job opportunity. I need some help solving my problems. And you've been asking and asking and asking. God feels very distant and far away. And you assume God doesn't care and that he's not involved. If you go back to the parenting analogy, um, you know, parents, do you say yes every time your kids ask you for something? No. No. Is it because you don't care? Is it because you don't want to be involved? No. Jesus said that a good father, a loving father, wants to give good gifts to his children. Um, but why doesn't he do that? He doesn't do that because of this next verse he says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. Or another way to put this is you just ask badly. You ask for things that really don't matter. You ask for the icing on the cake instead of the meal. Instead of the meal. And what is James talking about? You may spend what you get on your pleasures. I think what James is talking about, he's talking about this concept we're going to unpack over these next couple of weeks, the, this idea of surface desires, desires that are right on top of the surface in our lives. Generally, when you say, what do you want? You think about, well, what do you, what do you want for this next year? When you think, well, I want to be healthy. Is that a bad thing? No, but that's a surface desire. You know, I, I want to have a good marriage or I want to find someone that will marry me. That's, is that a, that's a good thing, that's a, but that's up on the surface, you know. Want things to go well with my kids, you know? That's something up on the is that bad? No, it's not bad. It's up on the surface. 
There's other kinds of desires, desires that are distorted and desires that are deceitful where something that starts out really good, because again, I believe every desire comes from God, starts out good, but a good thing over time becomes what? A bad thing. David in the psalm said this, he says, if you delight yourself in God, God will give you the desires of your heart. Not the surface desires, not the distorted or deceitful desires, but these deep desires. Say, what's a deep desire, John? We're going to talk about that over these next few weeks. We're going to talk about the desires that God has placed in us because every person in this room is made in the image of God. And because you are made in the image of God, there are characteristics about the God himself that are placed deep in your heart and in your soul. And these are the things that he longs for you to live for. He longs for you to pursue. He longs for your life to be lived out of. Because the last thing God wants is this, um, what does it profit a man if he should gain the entire world? It's not James 4, it's in Mark. But lose his own soul. Lose his own soul. So this week I want you to take a couple questions with you to think about. The first question is, what do you really want? What do you really want? Not just what would make you feel good today, tomorrow, not the now, not the per- perpetual pleasure, but what do you really want? What has the pursuit of what you want gotten you? Maybe you've been pursuing some things, going after them. Going after them. If you're a student, what's the pursuit of good grades? What's that gotten you? What's that gotten you? Is that a bad thing? not a bad thing. I'm not telling you don't study. But if that's all your life is about, there's something more God wants for you. And then this last question, what do you really, what do you value? What do you value? What are the things that matter most to you? As we start a new year together, and as I thought about what this new year might hold, I thought, what would it look like if as a church as small groups, as individuals, as families, as men and women and couples and students, college students and high school students and middle school students, if our lives became about what really mattered. Did we live life and do all those other things? We would live life and do all those things, but there's something underneath of it that drives us. There's a motivation that drives us that's deeper than anything we've ever known before. As we close this morning, I want to invite you to um, listen and reflect on this song. And over these next couple weeks, I hope you come back and join us as we're going to continue to hear some stories at the beginning of people that explored this. And we're continue to wrestle with and look at what God's Word has to say about the things that you really want. As you do, I just want to give you a quiet moment just to say, God, what do I really want? What do I really value? And what would it look like this year for Christ to be 
one of those things when I ask that question. What would it look like to pursue Jesus with a wholehearted devotion that the people in your world knew that Jesus was more important than anything to you? God, you know each of our stories. You know each of our journeys. You know where each one of us are. And um, you know what the desires are, the things that we're struggling, the things that some of us really want and we wonder why you don't give them to us. And it's hard to be honest that if we got what we really want, we really wouldn't have what we wanted. But God, as we come into a new year, I pray that it would be as we start off these first couple of weeks here, Lord, that we would just continue to explore what matters most and how, do my, how can my life be about what matters most? What do I really want? God, give us hearts and minds that are open to hear, hearts and minds that are willing to be honest with ourselves, with God, with our parents, with our small group, with our spouses, with our friends. Say, this is what I really want. I know it's not what God wants. What do I do about that? And to face that and explore that and walk down that road um, together. Lord, help us as students, as families, as adults, as small groups, as a church, to be a group of people that are really about wanting what God wants more than anything else for us in our lives. Help us to do that, God. We can't do it on our own. We need you. In your name.